0: Hey, everybody. Hope you're well. We're going to continue in our series on family culture, developing a a family culture within Saints Hill. And tonight, what I want to talk about is discipleship. So if you have your Bible, if you have your phone, go ahead and get it out right now. Turn to John chapter 15. That's where we're going to be this evening. Um, We're going to read a passage that's probably pretty familiar to most of you guys and uh, something that's really close to my heart. It's been very shaping in my life. Um, Really over the past year, I feel like there's some just important insights that God has given to me about discipleship and the importance of being a disciple. Um, While you're turning there, some of you may be familiar with uh, the story in Ezekiel of um, Ezekiel interacting with this vision of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you know the book about the book of Ezekiel, you'll know that Ezekiel the prophet wrote it while he was in exile with Israel outside of Jerusalem in Babylon. So away from home, he has this vision um, of Jerusalem, of the temple in Jerusalem, but it's it's unlike anything he's ever seen before. In the vision, there's actually water that begins to leak out of one of the doors in the, of the temple, and as he watches the water, it's this fresh, clean water that not only goes from the temple into the Dead Sea and then turns the Dead Sea's water not salty, makes the Dead Sea water clean or sweet rather than itself becoming salty. But it, it also provides incredible amounts of life for fish that swim in it, <clears throat> excuse me, for um, trees that are on the side of it. And it says this in Ezekiel 47. It says that the trees that are planted along this water that's coming from the presence of God, water coming from the temple, um, these trees have leaves that are then used for healing nations. Here's the point of that image. Here's the whole reason why Ezekiel got that hopeful image while he's in the midst of chaos, while he's in the midst of a situation that maybe your house is feeling like exile right now, you've been in it so long. While he's in a very difficult situation, he gets this prophetic image. He gets this hopeful image because this is the key to all of discipleship, to all of life. It's this. All fruitfulness flows from intimacy. All life-giving power comes from intimacy. All ability to actually change a circumstance or change a situation for a person rather than contracting that circumstance on yourself or contracting what they have comes from a place of intimacy like the temple. Jesus, once we, you know, get further on in the Bible to the New Testament, Jesus is actually a human form of Ezekiel's temple Remember that in Ezekiel's temple, this water, this fresh water, rather than getting salty, it turns the salty water fresh. Well, Jesus does the same exact thing. He touches people who are sick. He touches people who are unclean. He touches people who have disease. And rather than contracting what they have, they contract what he had. They get made well. They get a touch of heaven, and everything changes for them. Now, that's amazing, in our time period today, but think about the first century, where there's really no medical backup plan for people who are sick or people who have disease. Um, they truly, when they they hear about Jesus, and they have to be thinking, "This is my only shot. <laughs> this is my last shot. There's a expiration date on my time here on earth. And, and if I could just touch His, you know, I think of the woman who had the issue of bleeding. If I could just get around him just to touch his, the hem of his garment, then maybe something would happen to me. I think it's for this reason. I think this model of Ezekiel's temple, this model of Jesus' lifestyle, is why God primarily uses discipleship to change the world. You notice that God doesn't tend to use, um, when, when there's the issues of chaos in our world, he's not trying to use these broad sweeping social programs, but instead he speaks to the individual. He wants to get heaven inside the individual. He wants to get inside the individual so that they can go and become that Ezekiel's temple wherever they go. Jesus actually sends us as disciples, he sends us out to be intimate with God, And so that healing water, life-giving water, would issue from us onto everyone that we come in contact with. The essence of discipleship, the essence of even being a disciple, is just simply this. It's being close to God. You can't get close to His level of life. You can't get close to His level of, of, um, of goodness and not have that rub off on you and then also rub off on the people around you. And because of that, it's in times like the times that we're in right now, where I know that there's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of just, uh, there's a lot of questions. Um, When is this thing going to be over? When are we going to get a solution to this? It's in times like these where your personal discipleship has never been more important. So that's why I want to read about it. I want to read about the very character of discipleship. Look down at your Bibles with me, uh, and let's just start in in verse 1 of John chapter 15. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, or he cuts, so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 3, you are already clean, that word clean in Greek, it has a connotation of you've already been cut, you've already been pruned, because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No, ba- no branch can, can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He's like, let's get the rolls down correct. If you remain in me, if you spend time being close with me, um, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. There's not going to be any fruit that you bear. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I just want to read that verse one more time. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here's what this passage is saying. God has tied His glory to our ability to bear fruit. God has linked His glory, His um, majesty... Being seen, he's tied that to our ability to be fruitful. And then he's also, in this passage it it teaches us, he's tied our fruitfulness, our ability to bear fruit, to his presence. So so if you're taking notes, write this down. God has tied his glory to my fruitfulness, and he's tied my fruitfulness to his presence. Another way that we can think about it is like this. God will not be seen for who he is, Clearly, his glory won't be seen without a demonstration through our lives of what Jesus calls fruit. You bearing fruit in your life is a big deal. Now, the question is this, well, what does it mean to be fruitful? What, what kind of fruit are we talking about? Well, I think that Jesus gives a fantastic description in Luke chapter 3, verses 16 through 20. You can write that down, come back to it another time. But it's the scene where Jesus stands up in the temple. He unrolls the scroll of Isaiah 61, and he actually begins to read this prophetic, um, uh, this prophetic writing about his own life. Here's here's what it says in in Luke chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And then he said this today, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I just love that. You think like, what is God's disposition towards humanity? What is Jesus' mission for humanity? It's so simple. He's just here to proclaim God's favor. He came to proclaim God's goodness. So powerful. Now, um, it's important to know When Jesus does this, when he stands up and he reads that, he's really giving the vision statement not only for his life, but he's also giving the vision statement for our lives as disciples. Every disciple has the same call. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We've been anointed. If you're in Christ, if you follow Jesus, if he is your Lord, you've been given the Holy Spirit so that you can preach the gospel. You can share the good news of peace and eternal hope with people who really need it. Like, you've been empowered in this time period. We, this isn't a time for us to sit back, it's actually a time for us to share the gospel, for us to give a reason for our hope that we have, give a reason for the peace that we carry. We've been given the Holy Spirit to get people free, release from fear through um, faith in the one who's faithful. That's what we've been given the Holy Spirit for, is to actually be go, okay, God, I'm feeling fear right now, I'm looking around me, I'm seeing others who feel fear, I'm fill me up with trust in you. Fill me up with faith in you so that I can actually help other people get free from that same fear that I was once feeling. We've been given the Holy Spirit to heal people with illness, to actually pray for them and see, I I like to think of us as disciples as bridges. We have one foot in heaven, one foot on earth, and and it's the greatest privilege of our lives to just say, go through me, God. (laughs) Take your goodness and channel it through me for this person or this circumstance right here. Uh, and lastly, we have the Holy Spirit to release people from the demonic. Um, it's in the places of fear where we tend to agree with the enemy. When we do that, we give him authority in our lives and we actually open ourselves up to that. what the Bible says that giving the enemy a foothold, giving him a place if you're a rock climber, giving him a place to really put his foot or to get a good grip in our lives. And uh, we don't want that to happen at all. And so it's our, we've been given the Holy Spirit to actually have authority over the demonic to just say, you out now. You have no business doing this, speaking this, or being this in this person's life. They're a child of God, so get out right now. And now, God, come and give this person truth where they had once bought into their fear or believed a lie. Um, How do I know that this is our vision statement? Because this is what Jesus told us to do. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. You guys are probably familiar with this. Uh, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. It's his authority that becomes the precedent. It becomes the reason why he sends us. Do you see what's happening there? He's not, hey, yeah, you can attempt to do what I did, and if you're lucky, maybe you'll see some cool stuff. No, no, no. It's this. It's, I have authority, I'm, tra- I'm transferring that authority to you. Do you believe it? Therefore, go. Uh, John 20, verse 28 says this. This is just so good. Maybe write, jot this down. I, I, I find this is a passage that's been really important to me in the past couple of years. Uh, it says this, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He interacts with his disciples in this passage. He says, peace be with you. And then he says this, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Super important. As the Father sent me, well, how did the Father send him? Because that's the same way that he's sending you. Uh, How did the Father send Jesus? Well, I, I would say he sent him in a lot of different ways, but there's really kind of two primary ways that Jesus was sent to earth, with a mission and with an ability. Jesus was sent to earth to unroll the scroll of Isaiah, to read those things off and then do those things, with a mission and with an ability So in other words, when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you, what he's saying is this, you are being sent with the same mission that I had and with the same ability that I had. Jesus, time and time again, you look through the Gospels, how did Jesus do the miraculous? How did he heal the sick? How did he cast out the demonic? Well, we get insight in one of the Gospels where he says, it's by the Spirit that I cast out the demonic. Jesus isn't doing these miracles because he's God showing off that he's God. No, no, no. He's doing these miracles because he is a a human fully alive with the Spirit of God in correct relationship with the Father. Remember the dove descending, the Spirit of God descending on him at his baptism. He wouldn't need the Spirit if he could just do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. But instead, he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. In other words, I'm staying in step with the presence of God. I'm staying in step with the presence of a Father, and I'm stepping in to do these miracles. Uh, miraculous things to see the, the kingdom of heaven come to this person or to that person. We've been sent with the same mission and we've been sent with the same ability. That is really important in a time like we're living in right now. Now, has, you hear that and maybe you're like, man, that's so inspiring. That sounds amazing. But I just see a gap between the life of Jesus and where I live. I do too. <laughs> I see a gap with who, what Jesus did who he was, how he conducted himself in the face of chaos and trials, and how I conduct myself in the face of chaos or in the face of trials. So the question is, if we're supposed to bear this kind of fruit, if, if we have the same mission and the same ability, how do we actually go about bearing that kind of fruit? How do we actually end up seeing these things happen in our lives? Well, Jesus places our fruitfulness into the context of a relationship like a grapevine has to a gardener. So he's like, you want to be fruitful? Here's a metaphor. Here's here's the way that your relationship with the Father is supposed to work. It's it's just like the relationship that a fruit vine or a grape vine has with a gardener. And this is key. Look down at your Bibles, verse 1. He says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. He's like, you're a branch. Wall... Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So so get this. Write this down if you're taking notes. Our fruit is dependent upon our ability to remain with Jesus and to get pruned or to get cut. Another way to think about it is like this. You want to be fruitful? You have to be able to die to self when the gardener comes down your row and says, that right there. I need to cut that so that you can be even more fruitful. I know that it's going to hurt, but I need to cut that. I need to prune that so that you can bear even more fruit. Death to self, dying to self, whether it's I'm hanging on to this fear that I have, or I'm hanging on to this character issue. It's not that big of a deal. I'm hanging on to this belief over here or this vision or this dream that God hasn't given me. When he walks down that, that aisle of yours and he comes to prune you, he comes to cut you, uh, it's death to self that is needed. And death to self is the form that faith often takes. It's this. It's, okay, I'm going to trust you again, even here. So, so cut this fear out of me. Prune this issue so that I can bear fruit. Uh, We we almost have to get this imagination of what could be in our lives. What kind of life would we have were we to see these specific issues get pruned out of our lives? What kind of peace would you have if the fear was gone? What kind of uh, risks would you take if the character issue or the insecurity was able to get pruned out of your life? It could sound a little ominous, but, but think about this. Uh, Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't done. It, it's honestly true. Jesus becomes our model for what discipleship is. Jesus is the model for discipleship. Um, this jumped off the page at me uh, a few, this is probably six or eight months ago that when I was reading in the book of Acts, Peter is giving his first sermon in the book of Acts, it's in Acts chapter 2, and he says this phrase that really caught my attention. He says, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. God raised this Jesus to life. God raised. Isn't that kind of interesting that Jesus didn't raise himself? God raised Jesus? What does that mean? I think at the very base level, it means this. Jesus was not concerned with the resurrection. He was concerned with the death. Think about it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you know that death is weighing so heavily on him that he begins to question, is there resurrection on the other side? Am I going to be okay after this whole experience? And it just, it creates this turmoil. Now we know that our courageous pioneer of our faith walked through that trial for the joy set before him, he endures the cross. Um, but Jesus was the one who trusted God when Jesus was going to say, saying yes to death he was trusting God for life. And the same goes for me. The same goes for you. As a disciple, your job is to die. His job is to resurrect. Your job is to say, I don't know what kind of fruit is on the other side of this. I can't, it's hard for me to even get an imagination of how you pruning this out of my life is going to, to result in more fruit, result in more kingdom expansion, result in a, at something that's better for me. But yes, I, my job is to focus on the dying. Your job is to bring about the fruit, to bring about the resurrection. Look down at your Bibles, verse 2. It says this, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit wall. Every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. God wants you to live a fruitful life. He wants to bring about healing for people through you. He wants to bring about prophetic direction through you taking time to get alone with him, hear from him, and share that with the people around you. But God will not violate your privilege to choose surrender. He will not violate the privilege, the great privilege we have in partnering with him (laughs) to just bring about more fruit. He actually is looking for partnership for people to say, yes, God, prune me here. Yes, cut me here. I really think for me right now, just um, with cultural circumstances the way that they are, but but even just kind of the past few months of my life, one of the things that God is really pruning out of my life is the fear of death. Um, I know that death, the fearing death is a normal fear to have. Um, I know that, that that comes natural to most humans, but it's not actually a normal fear for Christians. Um we of all people are the ones who have resurrection hope. We of all people are the ones who have promises from God saying, Jesus is the first fruit. Just like what we're seeing right now, we're seeing trees giving us their first leaves, we're seeing, in my garden I'm seeing first flowers come out and I know, I don't think to myself, oh, that's nice, that'll be great for the spring. I know there's more coming. Jesus is the first fruit of of resurrection and we're going to follow suit. Um, but it's just this time of really facing the fact that I'm not in control, facing the fact that there's certain things that I can do, but there's a lot that I just don't have control over. Uh, really, I I feel like God is just coming down the aisle right now and he's saying, we need to prune this fear of death that you have. We need to prune this, this need for control that you have. I, I don't know where you guys are at and your personal families financially, but there's a lot up in the air with our economy. How long will it take to recover? Will I ever make back uh, the money that I've already lost? Is my job still gonna be there on the other side of this? And, w- and, I, and I just wanna say this, disciples never waste an opportunity to die. Disciples never waste an opportunity for the rubber to really hit the road and to say to God, prune me here, cut me here. So as you're thinking about discipleship, thinking about even where you're at personally right now, waking up in the morning, spending time with God, spending time with the gardener, just saying, yeah, cut me here, show me where I need to die. I know that you have my best interest in mind. You didn't let Jesus stay in that grave. You're not gonna let me. I think what we're going to see from this whole time period that we've been in as a church is we're going to see a group of people, I think Saints Hill, you guys, we're going to see a group of people who are more free on the other side of this to risk with Jesus, more free on the other side of this to listen more intently with the Spirit, to walk with a fearlessness that makes people ask, Where did you get that sense of peace? Where did you get that sense of fearlessness? If we choose in this time period to take our discipleship seriously, to say, God, you're bringing things to the surface or circumstances have brought these things to the surface, cut me there. I think that our church is going to explode on the other side of this with kingdom activity and what Jesus calls fruit. The key is this, continual surrender brings continual fruit. We don't stop. This is a lifestyle of discipleship. Continual surrender brings continual fruit. And it's this dynamic, according to Jesus, that sets us up for advancing the kingdom. Have you ever read a passage in the Bible and you thought to yourself, that cannot mean what it seems to mean. Or that even seems blasphemous if that, if that really means what it looks like it means. Well, we have one of those passages in this text as well. Look down in your Bibles, verse 7. If you remain in me, Jesus speaking to us, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. God has designed life, all of life, so that his glory is tied to our fruitfulness, like we've already said this evening. And the passage is clear. God gets glory by you being awesome. God gets glory by you bearing fruit, by you being like God here in the present. Now, in context, notice what the fruit is. Well, it's a metaphor for answered prayer. Look down in your Bibles, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. What is that? That's prayer. That's a petition to God. Would you do this thing? Would you move in this situation? Ask whatever you wish. It will be done done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. What is the fruit? It's asking God to do something and him actually doing that. It's answered prayer. So it's, it's that moment where you say, God, would you save this person? I was just on a phone call today with a friend of mine who wanted prayer for his brother, uh, who was kind of walked away from God. It's, it's positioning ourselves in that moment saying, God, would you, uh, the fruit that we want to bear is getting answered prayer right here. We want to see this person saved. Um, It's uh, asking God for a promotion. God, I I really think that I deserve this promotion. I really want this promotion at work. Would you be working this so that I actually get the promotion? It's it's maybe a spouse that we ask for. Um, God, I can't be single forever. Would you please give me a spouse? It's it's in this time the virus to stop. The prayer that I feel like I've prayed a hundred times already. God, stop this virus in its tracks. Just stop it or, or give us the ability to create some kind of um, immunity to it or to create some kind of medicine to stop this virus in its tracks. But have, have you ever prayed for something and not seen it happen? <laughs> you ever asked God for something and it, it never actually happened? So, so what are we supposed to do with this text? I I really think that we need to kind of break this down because this matters. People have had to deconstruct their faith because they've misunderstood this passage. People have deconstructed their faith, their relationship with God, largely in part because they feel let down by God. And, And here's what I want to say. I feel like one of the missions of Saints Hill is to help people construct a relationship with God they never have to deconstruct. So here's what he starts with. He starts with remain. What does he say? Verse seven, if you remain in me. This is the first prerequisite to seeing answered prayer. If you remain in me. So what is that? We are invited by God to have this dynamic. A presence-based relationship. If you remain in me, could there even be closer language? If you spend time, in our language at Saints Hill, hosting my presence, thinking of creative ways to invite my presence into your life, if you, I think of Brother Lawrence. He was known for hosting the presence of God. People would travel around the world just to watch him wash dishes at his monastery just because he hosted God's presence in, in such a potent and powerful way. Um, it, what, what is that? If you remain in me, it's this. I'm going to put our relationship first in my life. I'm going to put this relationship that I have To be the primary thing in my life, the thing by which I make all of my decisions, whether I do this thing or do that thing, spend this money there, give it away here, move there, do anything. It's based on presence, right? And then he says this, and my words remain in you. Look down at your Bibles. If you remain in me, and, here's the dynamic, my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish. Well, what does it mean to have God's words remain in us? Um, I think it's this, well, think about what God's words do. What do they do? They give life and they sustain it. From Genesis chapter one, it's God's words that actually create new things. Um, I I even think of Jesus saying, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every what? Word that comes from the Father's mouth, right? So what is being said about God's word? It's life-giving and it's life-sustaining. So let God's words remain in you. So you remain in him, presence-based commitment, relationship first. And then let my words remain in you. What is that? Let me, let God be the one to uh, ultimately bring you to life. Let God be the one to ultimately have the final say in your life. Um, But what else does God's words do? Well, even from this passage, we learn that it's God's word that prunes us. Look up at verse three. What does he say? He says, you are already clean. You're already, you've already been pruned because of the what? The word I have spoken to you. So, so here's what he's saying. When your priority is staying with him, no matter what, I don't, no matter you know, hell or high water, no matter what, I'm going to stay with you. And if your priority is allowing his words to cut you and to bring new life, the result of that dynamic, the result of that commitment in your life is going to be answered prayer. Here, here's the point. Requests or prayers that are made from his presence, and from living off of his life-giving and pruning words, those are the kind of requests, those are the kind of prayers that get answers. Um, I was uh, at lunch with a friend of mine probably six months ago or so, and um, he was telling me just about how his relationship with God has basically come to nothing. <laughs> He's really deconstructed his faith, a lot of issues with the scriptures, um, a, a lot of problems with just feeling like God let him down. And, and I remember um, I, was, I was kind of trying to suss out, like, what was, the, what was the, the stages that you went through of deconstruction? And he said, you know what it really all comes down to is it comes down to this. I have prayed for things thousands of times, thousands of prayers throughout my life. And he said this, I can't think of one time that I've ever seen a prayer answered. So I'm out. Um, Getting answered prayers is really important. There may be even a pain in you right now as you're listening to this going, I can think of the unanswered prayer that I have in my life. I can think of the, the, the thing that I've come for healing for. Dozens of times that's never been healed. I can think of the person in my life that I've been asking for breakthrough for and never seen it happen It's really important that we get answered prayers. It's really important Holding the answer to the prayer Or the specific answer you believe to be the best at a higher place than relationship will always end in disappointment when the answer to prayer becomes the purpose of life, disappointment is sure to follow. But what this passage encourages us towards, I think, is this, prayers from relationship first say this, God, I request that you do this. I request that you stop the virus. I request that you move in this person's life. I request that you get this thing out of my life or that you heal now. I request it, God, but not at the expense of our relationship. I request it from all that I know about who you are and about what your intentions are. But if I have misunderstood what they are, or if I'm asking for something that you're actually trying to prune in me, then I place my desire to remain in you above my desire for this specific thing to happen. My priority as a disciple is remaining in you and your word remaining in me, saying yes to death to self, and trusting that you have my best in mind, and you ultimately have this universe's best in mind. As I read Revelation 21 and 22, I know you win, God. So no matter what I see around me, I won't create a theology based off experience. I'll create a theology based off of the person and character of your son, Jesus Christ. That attitude, that mentality and heart is where fruitfulness comes from. That is how the kingdom advances. We advance to the degree we commit to remain. We advance to the degree that we commit in our lives to remain in him. To end, um, I believe that this is a time in the church to advance. The primary issue that I'm seeing in my own heart, I'm seeing in the people around me, and the cut that I want to make all of us aware of in a time like this is the issue of a defensive posture. Um, it, It could seem like now is the time to go on the defense as the church. Now is the time to just protect what we got, to stay safe, to kind of weather the storm, and to just look towards that day when we get to walk out of our homes again and walk back to gathering with one another, and then we'll get back on track. Um, I just think that the enemy will do anything to discourage a move of God, um, or to discourage the faith that a move of God often will require. But our surrender to King Jesus, our personal surrender, what we're talking about in this passage this evening, our surrender to King Jesus and to his way, just, it's like, it's like a flaming dart at the enemy because it reveals that our faith in God is still more influential than our fear of circumstances. Your decision to surrender to him, it make no mistake, it's moving the needle for the kingdom. It's moving the ball forward for the kingdom. And it's that surrender that is a message to the enemy saying, what you meant for evil, God is actually going to use through my confession of faith for good. The truth is this, is that God's fire, you look all throughout the Old Testament, His fire coming down onto altars always falls on a sacrifice it always comes on a sacrifice. And this outpouring that, you know, Saints Hill is built around this vision for revival. And I believe that, you know, some people say that, you know, we're praying for revival. They have an idea of what revival's supposed to look like. I think revival happens individually all over the place, all over our town and in our church, every time somebody gets a prophetic word, every time somebody gets healed, every time somebody gets an insight into God's goodness, and I think we're in revival right now. (laughs) I I just declare that um, over us as a people. We're seeing God move. We're seeing the kingdom advance. Um, But this outpouring that we long for, the greater move of God that I know we have been promised as a church, It comes from our ability to say, we surrender to you. We trust you more than we fear what the enemy is up to. So my question to us as a church tonight is this, are you ready to take ground? Or are you living on the defense? Are you ready to move the ball forward? Are you ready to see the kingdom advance? The sacrifice of time, the sacrifice of spending more time in prayer in this season the sacrifice of saying yes to faith and no to fear is going to have an immense payout and I believe we we have even began we we, we begun to see it last Sunday with people prophesying for the first time hearing a prophetic word that connected for the first time. We are taking ground and it's God's vision is discipleship. It is his strategy for developing a people of faith who can handle the abundance that he intends to pour out. So... I hope that that encourages you wherever you're at this evening. I want to just get a little bit practical as we close. Just a few ideas for practicing God's presence, for remaining in Him and allowing His words to remain in us with this extra time that a lot of us have on our hands. So practically. Um, Just think about redeeming the time that you have. I know... I'm right there with you. I've been spending a lot of time watching Netflix, watching shows, but we have time in our homes to um, pray. We have time in our homes to worship, to put on um, a worship song or a worship playlist. We actually have a playlist for you guys um, and that we're putting together uh, that hopefully, maybe even by the time you're listening to this, you already have that playlist. Um, but we've been putting together a, a worship playlist for you so that you can just put that playlist on and just soak. Just spend time in worship. You don't have to be singing out. You could take a nap. Uh, Just spend time in his presence and just say, God, in this moment, I'm dedicating this hour to you. Redeem the time. Um, Look for um, opportunities like we've been talking to to sharpen up your surrender. Lots of times, it's these cultural um, moments of upheaval where the fear comes to the surface and it's really easy to see what needs to be cut out of our lives. Um, Go on a prayer walk. Um, something that I've been doing a lot around my neighborhood, just spend time just inviting the presence of God. I mean, if you want to know what I'm praying on prayer walks, I'm just saying, God, would your presence come and just be so tangible that it would be impossible for people to not recognize it? Would people just sense you around them wherever they look? God, would you bring a a sense of hope to people in Newburgh? Would you mark Newburgh? Would this become a place of healing that people travel from all over the world to come to? just to get a touch from you, just to get healed. Um, So maybe think about your neighborhood. Think about the the people around you. Go visit your neighbors. Knock on their door. um, Ask them how they're doing. uh, See if they need anything at all. and, And maybe be bold enough, would you ask them, is there anything that I can pray for you about? People are longing for disciples who are on fire at this time. They're looking for the people of God to be bridges of heaven into their homes in this time period, so... Um, That's my hope. That's my message for us as a church. Uh, One one of the things that we want to try to do um, from now until who knows how long we're going to be doing this whole video thing um, is by ending our messages with words of knowledge for you guys, wherever you're at in a community group at home, just with your family or just by yourself. Um, and so what we did is we actually had our prayer team um, ask God if there were any uh, specific words of knowledge, things that we need to be praying for people uh, about in this in this next week. And uh, we had them just email them in. So I'm going to read off um, just some words of knowledge. Now, if you're in a group of people and one of these words is for you, would you be be bold enough to just mention, just maybe raise your hand and say, hey, I actually think that word is for me. Those people around you, they're people full of the spirit of God. They're just going to get around you and they're going to pray for you. And, And we may see healings. We may see prophetic words. We may see just incredible things happen. Um, so I'm just going to read off some of these words. Here's the first one. Um, this is from somebody on our prayer team. They said this, I keep getting the word restoration. I think our father wants to point the eyes of his children towards the unstoppable reality of being restored. Specifically for this week, I get us, I sense he is wanting to put brokenness back together, whether it's physical or relational brokenness. Here's the names that this person got for this specific prayer. Uh, Melinda, Melinda, Alex, and maybe Todd. Um, The resurrected Jesus says this, behold, I'm making all things new. I think he wants to prove that in this time and in this place. So if your name is Melinda, Alex, or Todd, um, maybe there's a a place of brokenness, relational or physical, that he wants to address right now. And would you just make yourself known to your group right after this video? They'd love to get around you and pray for you in that. Just God's blessing on you in that. Um, here, here's the other one, uh, God wants to heal anyone who has cold symptoms, receive it for you, um, if you have any symptoms, or for someone else that you know who has symptoms, uh, I think this is just a good thing to pray for right now, anybody that you know that's sick, we want to pray for them in our little home groups that we're doing, um, thirdly, uh, a girl with arthritis, somebody's had a sense, there's somebody out there with arthritis, uh, a girl, Um, God is ending something that this person thought they would have to deal with for life. So if that's the sense that you've had, that you feel like you're going to just be dealing with arthritis for life, uh, we want to pray for you, and we believe that God could end that right now. Um, And then just lastly, uh, the name Casey, and just that God wants to set you free from the fear of death. Even what I've been talking about, something that I'm personally going through, uh, that God wants to release you from that. So... Right after this video ends, just ask anybody who you're sitting with if any of those words are for them, and just spend some time praying for that those people. Um, I just want to uh, pray for you guys real fast before you jump into your activation, uh, before you jump into praying for the people around you. I just want to read a passage from James, so if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes, maybe clearing your laps, and uh, I'm just going to read this out as a benediction over us as Saints Hill Church. James says this to us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So my prayer, God, is that you would use this time the testing of our faith to produce maturity and to experience expand your kingdom all throughout Newburgh in your name. Amen.